Christian Rob McGregor welcome you to a place where all kinds of phenomena flourish. Voices whisper, ancient secrets, signs and symbols are abundant. UFOs, ETs, ghosts, and even the dead move about freely. Here we meet authors, researchers, and investigators of the mysterious, the strange, and of the inexplicable anomalies that surround us. Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground. Welcome to the mystical underground. Thank you for joining us. This is Trish McGregor and Rob McGregor and our tech magician, John Posey. You can go to the mysticalunderground.com where we make regular posts and you can find out about our books. Our most recent nonfiction book is Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Abilities. Trisha's latest novel is Skin Shifters, and Rob's latest novel is Tulpas. Okay, our guest today is Katriona McGregor. Katriona is a Gaelic name for Catherine, and she has uh, over 30 years of experience in education and environmental leadership. She's a visionary build, uh, visionary bridge builder between nature and humankind and an intuitive mystic. Katriana oversaw one of the largest coastal sanctuaries in the United States, stretching over 600 miles with wintering grounds and uh, stopover sites for 98% of the long-distance migratory bird species in North America. Her conservation program led in part to the comeback of an endangered species for which she received a blue ribbon from uh, award from the governor. She has extensive experience in habitat management and species <clears throat> converse, conservation and is leading a resilient forest initiative to apply innovative and bold solutions to forest and species management. And we can certainly talk about that related to the fires coming up. So she's uh, an expert uh, on environmental trends. She has advised scientists, government officials, non-government organization leaders, and the public on environmental topics. After a mystical experience with a tree which brought her back to her ancient, or her ancestral Celtic roots, Katriona founded Nature, Nature Quest and has led vision quests and, and spiritual retreats for two decades. She is the author of Partnering with Nature, The Wild Path, uh, to reconnecting with the earth, which won a gold medal from the Nautilus Book Book Awards, which uh, recognizes world-changing books that promote positive social change. Previous winners include His Holiness the Dalai Lama, Deepak Chopra, and the Tibetan author Thich Nhat Hanh. Katriona has a Master's of Science in Resource Management and Administration and a Juris Doctorate. She was admitted to practice uh, law in New York and Pennsylvania. She specialized in environmental law for seven years, and she even wrote a sp Supreme Court brief on issues of environmental and constitutional law. Welcome, Katriana. And she also has a new book coming out called Secrets of a Celtic Mystic, Sacred Earth Prophecy. And you got the job. That's quite a resume. <laughs> Well, thank you. I'm a little embarrassed you read that whole thing. I was hoping you'd just read a few sentences, but thank you. And it's, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Okay, so your work with uh, wilderness, the animals and plants, the spirits of the land. So living in Northern California at this time must not only be challenging with the threats of the fire, but very heartbreaking for you. Can you talk a bit about that? It is. It's actually been heartbreaking for, for quite a few years because I spent so much time out on the land. So, And because of my habitat management experience and just life experience, really following the animals and the trees. So I've been seeing for years the, the decline of the species around me and the decline of the health of the trees and so forth. This recent fire and smoke and things that we're dealing with now um, are just an outcome of many years of, of decline. And it's, it's really been heart-wrenching. Um, I do believe this is the time, you know, the Native people have spoken of the time of great changes, and, and that's what's happening now. And I think the thing that gives me solace is connecting to the fact that there is something, there are larger forces at work as well. Yeah. 
You know, we've talked to a number of people on podcasts about this pandemic and the fire is just the whole environmental thing. And a lot of people do see this as a positive, overall a positive thing because it's going to lead to a paradigm shift. That's very true. It, you know, and especially fire, when we think of fire, it's about purification. Mm-hmm. And um, that is very much what's happening to the planet right now. Part of that's being uh, instigated because of hu- humankind's lack of learning our lessons about how to how to live in harmony on the planet. And part of it is cosmically, uh, you know, in- instituted. But it's definitely a purification time. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are uh, realizing they have to downsize. They have to live more simpler lifestyles. Those who denied climate change and these great changes are now coming into acceptance uh, to a larger degree. So there are there are some good things happening, and right. you know, we are heading towards a major shift. Yeah, uh, since you're involved in forest management, what do you think of the president's call for <laughs> sweeping the forest of underbrush? How does that work? <laughs> we all get our vacuum cleaners out. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Bullwinkle Moose and Rocky the Squirrel, and I'm sure Bullwinkle the Moose would be all for that idea about sweeping the forest. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that doesn't really go. Well, of course, you know, in California, we're aware that the majority of the forest lands here are federally owned. Uh, so if anyone's really responsible for the health of the forest, is actually the federal government. Um, <clears throat> however, that has very little to do with why we have fires right now. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I've been noticing for years the decline in the forest health, and that's because of drought-like conditions. And it's also because of the extreme heat. And we now have extremely good scientific uh, uh, tools to measure this in trees. We've got the um, satellite that's measuring water uh, in our trees. We also have the wonderful Cambridge lab, Aero lab that flies over the forest. And what they're finding is that, you know, even a tree that looks somewhat green may only have 40% of the water that it normally Mm -hmm. should have inside of it. And dry trees, of course, are just, you know, fossil, <laughs> really, really uh, will, will go up like anything in a flame. And right, uh, right. it's a very fire, um, you know, worthy. Um, um, you, you, we think of the virus as a human illness, but you also link it to the earth. What, what's the relationship of the pandemic with Mother Earth? Well, you know, we are earthlings. We are connected to the earth at a very profound level. So I'm sure many of your listeners may meditate or partake in other kinds of spiritual practices or meditative practices. And we all know that that beta, that uh, alpha state of mind, rather not the beta, but the alpha state, um, which is at that 7.8 hertz, is kind of the opposite optimum way for us to connect with our deep inner self as well as with the planet. And of course, the earth herself resonates at that. I call it earth song. So we are deeply connected with the earth at this spiritual level, at this energetic level. And so when we sicken the earth, we ourselves get sick. And as a habitat manager, um, I saw this quite often. If we would disturb, you know, if they put in a road or disturb something Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the native plants, the plants that come in are the kind of the pest plants, you know, and the ones that don't support the native species and Mm -hmm. can cause Mm -hmm. issues. And this is what's happening with our wildlife now, too. Our wildlife are ill. I I, uh, have seen so many wildlife here in California. A lot of our furred animals, our deer and our squirrel and fox, are getting something called sarcophagus mange in a large degree. Ooh. We had this before. Um, yeah, so these changes, you know, we, we are making the earth sick, and this is in turn making us ill. Um, viruses will come, and this won't be the last of it, unfortunately. Is this form of mange you're talking about similar to what dogs can get? It is similar, It's and it does not, and just, it, it doesn't um, go on people, so people should mm-hmm. not be scared of it. Um, we're, they're getting it, the animals are run down, um, the, it's, too, it's much more hot than normal, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. it's just a breeding ground for, for these kinds of pests. Oh, 
Yeah. When we first moved here to Wellington, Florida, which is a small community west of West Palm Beach, we used to see a lot of foxes around. Yeah. I don't see any foxes no. anymore. It's, uh, it's something that has changed. And We used to have alligators, too, and I haven't seen any of those. Alligators are moving further north, and that's a good <clears throat> thing for us. <laughs> so what yeah. will it take... Uh, for us to save our environment uh, from further de decay? I know that's a big question, but uh, what, what can we do? And you can give us your best five minutes. <laughs> we keep giving well, yeah, points. there's so many things, but <clears throat> you know, I'm really, I'm a person of, of two worlds as we all are. So I believe in action, direct action. And I also believe in becoming more spiritually or more morally engaged uh, with the other life forms around us. But First, we need to really understand how nature works, and that's through deep listening and connecting. And we already have many people on the planet that have been doing this for years and really understand what's been, what's been going on and, and what is needed. But that's the first step, is really getting a sense of, of what's happening on the land. So for example, I, you know, I hinted or mentioned the decline in the species. We've had a massive decline in bird life. Uh, one thing people never consider is that we all know that the land feeds the animals. The animals also feed the land. So if there are no birds or wildlife to, you know, put their guano, I'll use a polite term, guano, into the soil, um, our plants, there's not, uh, through the soil testing we're doing, there's no organic matter in the soil as well. And of course, us humans, you know, we, you know how we deal with our guano. We kind of <laughs> put it in these big sanitation plants. It does not go back out to feed the land. And mm -hmm. in some ways, that could be a good thing because of all the chemicals and, and things that we, that we put in our bodies. But um, so understanding these really basic things that this is what, you know, our forest lands actually need um, better, better soil. Of course, they need more water. And, you know, getting in, in sync. And part of it is right now there's the imbalance in our world reflects, you know, everyone says that there's a, a yin and a yang to the universe and to the planet. And right now we're way too yang. A lot of uh, industry is based on, you know, the, the uh, engine inside our cars and motors is explosive energy. And there's so many more beautiful, serene ways to power our world. And, you know, that engine design is over 100 years old. It's time for us to embrace uh, new energy mythologies that um, bring more yin, more of that kind of gentle, receptive uh -huh. uh, way, way of being. So you mentioned that, you know, the two sides of it, the energetic side changing things as they are, but also a spiritual side. And you, you write uh, that the bobcat is your spiritual animal. Uh, can you tell us about the meaning of the bobcat in your life and uh, particularly your experience with uh, at a Denise Lynn workshop? Oh, sure. Yes. So, so bobcat, you know, every, each one of us is aligned with a really important animal in our life. It's kind of like each of us has a garden, guardian angel, at least one, probably more. And each of us has a life spirit animal. And mine is Bobcat. And I did not know this for years. I, I actually thought it was a different animal for many years. And then uh, I did have, though, when I was a young girl, a Manx cat that was orange that looked like a Bobcat, had a bobtail oh. and so forth. And he, he was quite a heroic cat. He actually swam, and when I was a little girl swimming in the sound, he would jump into the water and swim out to me. Wow. <laughs> so we had an unusual relationship, but years later, in my tw 20s, I got a dream that a bobcat, <clears throat> well, actually, I didn't call it a bobcat. I said a wild cat came to, my, came to me in a dream, but the domestic, I put food out for it, but the domestic cats in the house chased it away. And mm. of course, that's my conscious mind telling my subconscious I wasn't ready yet to accept the full power and wisdom of bobcat. But then uh, years after that, I did encounter this poor bobcat that, that um, had been hit by a tree limb and was dying in the woods and was pretty far gone by the time I found it. It had a huge tree, you know, on, on it. Um, and, the, and it really connected. I, our souls really meshed and connected at that stage. 
And after that happened and I accepted Bobcat in my life, I found that I could easily go in and out of trance states. I could uh, understand signs much more easily. Mm. And one of the interesting physical things that will happen with me and Bobcat is I, my, I'll get these sensations in my body. I'll know when a Bobcat is nearby or heading in this direction. Huh. And hairs on the back of my neck will go up. I'll get very excited. My eyes will actually dilate. Mm. And this has been observed at least four or five times in groups of people uh, because um, I've attended seminars with Denise Lynn, who's just an amazing um, mentor and spiritual teacher and uh, been at some of her workshops. And um, I'll just sense, even if I'm not near a window or a door, um, the hairs on the, on, you know, the back of my neck will go up and, and I'll get all excited and my eyes will expand. Huh. And I'll jump up and I'll say, Bobcat, in the middle of her saying something. <laughs> and she's very polite, you know, and she'll, she'll, she gets excited too, I think. She wants to see the Bobcat. And then we'll all run outside, and sure enough, there will be the Bobcat. Yeah. And <clears throat> that made me realize too that our ancestors and our indigenous elders had this ability. And I'm sure that they went to hunt. There were probably particular people mm. in their or clan who had this relationship with different animals and could sense where they were. So it's this very intimate, um, you, it almost feels like you're being called by, by the other um, animal. You're connected at this visceral, spiritual level. Did you stay with that bobcat until it died? I did. I stayed with the bobcat until it died. And they're did you very feel its spirit come into you? Yes, so that's what happened, and that's when I um, accepted Bobcat. Mm -hmm. And I went at first, right after it happened, I, I really was actually very depressed for about three months. I'm not a tend, I don't tend to be a depressive kind of person, so I was a little, you know, uh, uh, alarmed. But um, for about three months, I, I just felt very out of it and low uh, because I felt so close to that animal and so sad about its death. But afterwards, I had this um, incredible experience of seeing it, um, its full spiritual being wow. looking so beautiful and perfect. And that just kind of made me so happy. And I really believe that what I'm partly what I'm here to do is what the Nicknack people call, Micmac uh, Native people call singing the animals back to mm -hmm. life. And uh, so I, I often am there now. I'd say the past. 10 years, um, I'm, I often come upon animals that are about to pass for, you know, either they've been hit by a car or they're ill. And when I was younger, that was not the way. When I was younger, uh, I've saved hundreds, probably thousands at this point of animals. And they used to mainly survive. But the past 10 years, the animals, unfortunately, are leaving, you know, the earth. Mm. And, uh, but I really see a role to sing them back to life and, ah. and honor their energy. That's incredible. Yeah, I just had a feeling that the spirit had entered you because that's, I mean, if you're with a dying animal, that's part of the interchange, the exchange. It is, and, and sometimes I can sense where, where they're going. So, you know, animals are great beings. Many people don't know the story about the Buddha um, the Buddha, before Siddhartha was Siddhartha, in his uh, lifetime just before becoming Siddhartha, um, he was a young prince or a young noble, nobleman. He had two older brothers. And they were walking in the, in the, the woods uh, or forest, and he, they came across a dying lioness. And she was, so, she was starving, and she had cubs. She had four cubs and was unable to feed them. And everyone felt badly, he and his brothers, for this poor, beautiful lioness. But the brothers left and said, the, before he was Siddhartha, the incarnation before, the young boy um, offered himself to the lioness. Hmm. And she was so weak, she could not eat him. So the story is he actually cut and, you know, got a little blood going or something. He's got a macabre. But the lioness uh, ate, ate him and survived. And hmm. when he was reincarnated, he became Siddhartha in that next life. 
and his disciples were the lions. Because oh, wow. Lions. So sometimes when I'm sitting with an animal that's passing, I can sense what where it's going, whether it's it's kind of going up into a place that it's going to be for a while, that kind of unknown mystery, or whether it's going to reincarnate in a similar form or something different. Well, now, just I'm just curious about this. A lot of people say that you know you can't be reborn as an animal, or an animal can't be reborn as a human. But I've always thought that that's possible. Is it, it is possible, <laughs> absolutely. No, it's absolutely possible, and. Um, yeah, we can go back and forth. Everything has intelligence. Even mm -hmm. rocks have a level of intelligence. And and some rocks, you know, the Hawaiians have certain sacred places on the land. And some of these rocks have so much mana in them that when you go up by them, you, your whole body just kind of vibrates. And I, mm -hmm. I've been to some of these places. Um, the, the rocks are imbued. Maybe they partly had a higher level of intelligence, but mm -hmm. they're also it through the ceremonies and but all living beings uh, have a have a level of intelligence and consciousness and have the opportunity to go up or down yeah this is basically what Carl Jung said too about you know all everything that's animate has a spirit yes everything that is animate has a spirit because it's just the it's really just the visible, the manifest world is just the surface. It's mm -hmm, just the mm -hmm. surface of everything. And beneath it is the frequency and the song and the music and the dance of creation. Hmm. So there's a psychic ability known as psychometry in which the psychic holds an object uh, belonging to another person and through that object uh, can read the person. So in your books, you write about... Uh, Dr. Edward Bach, who had an ability to hold the petals or leaves of a plant and feel the quality of the plant's vibrations that allowed him to determine which illnesses the uh, plant could heal. And now Bach's herbal remedies are known around the world. In your book, uh, you mentioned a convention where people were given leaves uh, to hold. What happened there? You know, so I um, sometimes present at what are called the da the dowsing convention, and you, your your audience may know the dowsing is you know mm -hmm. sensing using the, the dowsing rods or whatever. And I do what's called body dowsing because we are a finely tuned instrument, and we can sense and pick up a lot of subtle information when we we turn into that channel to to tune into Earth song. So at this particular dowsing convention, there were a couple hundred people in the room, and I went and gathered some mistletoe and took a leaf uh, for every, every person and handed those out at the beginning. And then we did some meditations to bring the group into a highly meditative state and um, hold, and then to really tune into, did a little incantation for them to tune into the leaf that they held within their hand. And the majority of those people then were asked, um, what you know, what type of qualities did this plant have? And not a single person knew what plant it was in the audience. There were huh. no botanists there. And yet everyone talked about its healing ability, its almost magical abilities, and all of these interesting abilities, which are indeed part of the mistletoe. And of course, the mistletoe was a sacred plant by the Celtic Druids. But today, it's actually used to cure cancer in uh, uh -huh. Europe. So everything that they sensed about the plant was uncannily accurate. And it just goes to show that we all have that ability if we just know and feel confident we have the ability and take the time to, to deeply listen to nature. Hmm. Uh, Katriona, is there an, a plant or an herb that would be good for treating corona? COVID? There probably is, and I don't know of it. I do know that thyme is a very good herb for lungs and lung health. Hmm. So I do know that that can certainly be a healing herb for people, whether it's corona or a flu or anything that, that affects your lungs. And you can put a few drops in your hand 
and to kind of rub your hands together, get, the, get them warm, and then put your hands up to your, your mouth and nose and inhale and take uh. quite a few breaths of the time and that can be very healing but um, I don't know I'm sure there are other potential cures uh -huh. the the great masters the cities and the great masters say that every ailment on the planet has a solution mm -hmm. from the same planet that we're on so I'm sure it exists somewhere yeah so the pandemic has uh, really changed the world a lot and especially <laughs> when everything was shut down, the environment started to improve and people spent more time at home, more time uh, thinking about things that they hadn't thought about. So there was definitely uh, some advantages to you know, the pandemic, despite the, you know, the dangers of it, of course. And so in the past, you've led uh, trips to sacred sites over, overseas and uh, so has the, the pandemic affected that uh, for you? <laughs> Is it in your foreign travel? <laughs> oh, yeah, the pandemic. So it, it sounds like it's a double uh Question. So that for the first thing is, um, yeah, I was unable. I've been leading Quest to Scotland for almost a decade now, and I've been leading Vision Quest for 20 years. And those are group events. Yeah. Um, uh, so you can imagine that just I, I had to cancel all of my activities this year in 2020. Right. And a lot of people were very disappointed. I was really disappointed. Um, <clears throat> so it, it's sad that way. And also, um, you know, not be not being able to get into group situations. Mm -hmm. Now, some mm -hmm. people uh, work fine, you know, through Zoom and so mm -hmm. forth. And I do some calls, for example, I do the Ancient Celtic Trilogy reading, which I can do for people over the, the phone or the, the Skype. And um, there are other things that I can do, some clearing. I can do clearing of property and homes of non-beneficial energy. Um, <clears throat> but my main work, and the way that I am uh, created, I guess, is that is really connecting with the earth and the trees mm -hmm. and the plants. And that's, that's where my, my most focused work is. So that's something where I really need to be out on the land. Yeah, that's hard to do with Zoom. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. Have you found some advantages for yourself uh, with the pandemic, with the quarantine? It, Yes, I have. So, um, like everybody, I think this is kind of a, a uh, we've all been through, you've heard of the reset button. Right. <laughs> I think the reset button is, you know, someone, the, the cosmic mother has her finger on the reset button right now and hasn't lifted it yet. And um, so we're all, you know, slowing down and, and our days are very different than they used to be. Um, we're not driving as much. <clears throat> I did notice that up in the Sierras, uh, the Sierras, which has a gorgeous forest, they tend to get a lot of what's called ground ozone pollution um, along with the drought. But the, this past spring, the trees were so sparkling and green and healthy looking. And that was largely because people were not driving as much. So. Mm -hmm. I have not seen those trees look so healthy for probably 15 years or so. Yes. And uh, and so I think we all got a little bit of a glimpse of the quietude, the peace, and a little bit of a glimpse of how nature can kind of pop back into our world in a really beautiful way uh, when, we, when we slow down and become more aware of what's going around us. Yeah. So what is the role of uh, plants in uh, climate change? I'm just showing you more there. They're doing something outside. Um, oh. so, so climate, so the plants are just so important. They can be, I mentioned in the book that they can be our greatest allies, uh, on the planet. I mean, let's face it, the, the plants have already made the earth what it is. A lot of people don't think of that, but before there was photosynthesis, before there were little critters that could take the rays of the sun and make life energy, there was no oxygen in our atmosphere. There was oxygen, you know, in the rocks and in the soil and so forth, but but not in the atmosphere. So before plants, the earth had only organisms that lived in what you call an anaerobic environment, a non-oxygen mm -hmm. 
environment. And, and the kinds of things that exist in that kind of unpleasant environment tend to be single uh, cell, very extremely primitive um, kind of critters. But once the plants came onto <clears throat> the scene, they totally transformed the earth. They created this oxygenated environment. In fact, it was called the oxygenation extinction because they got rid of all those little anaerobic critters huh. that couldn't live here any longer. And then, of course, we had this amazing evolution of these, these complicated, complex animals, reptiles and mammals, and eventually humankind. We wouldn't be here without the plants. And not only did they they create, the plants made our atmosphere. Not only did they make our atmosphere, they made, they terraformed the earth. They're the ones that the roots broke into the rocks and created soil. And they have chemicals within their being that kind of breaks down the rocks and creates beautiful soil that other things can live in. Uh -huh. And um, <clears throat> so... Really, if we turned all our attention to protecting these beautiful beings, especially the elder elder trees, it is good to do tree planting, but we need to keep our old trees. And they will help to transform our environment back to a more harmonious and natural balance. Um, we do have an uphill battle, though, because we've been they've been burning up. We've been burning them. Uh, we've been cutting them. And uh, so we definitely will have to do a hundred percent turnaround and really work hard to regenerate this plant life. Have the redwoods been burned? The redwoods have been burned in different areas and some of the trees I have heard of have survived. Some of them have not. One of the, you know, the fires that we have today are incredibly unusual. And one of my favorite scientific studies through um, Earthscope Media, I've, I've interviewed a lot of really fascinating ex experts in different fields. And one, <clears throat> one of my favorite studies is by Woods Hole, which is a very famous and well-respected science institute. And through dendrochronology, which is essentially looking at tree rings to determine growth of trees and you know how they're doing so it's almost like being able to ask a tree scientifically right. how are you <laughs> how's it are going you? How are you, <laughs> are you how? married <laughs> and what they discovered from their study is that the drought that occurred in 2004 2005 and so forth was the worst in 1200 years so we're being told that this, these conditions are extremely unique that we're experiencing. No one in our generations, you know, can pass down any any knowledge to us about this time, you know. And um, so these the, these are great changes and the great fires that we have in the past when almost all the redwoods would survive a fire. Now they're not because the huh. fires are burning so hot. Yeah. What do you think of uh, Governor of California's comments that this fire season uh, might be the worst, but it might be just the beginning and the, they are going to continue and get worse and worse? Well, it's the climate change. It's yes, a, unfortunately, that is true. And, you know, we are in the time of great changes. We were told about this time coming. <clears throat> Many Native and Indigenous people have told us of this time. And so whether it's fires or floods or melting ice or the animals disappearing, this is, of course, what I experienced directly is the animals leaving and, um, and then the trees not looking well. So, so, yes, this is the I wouldn't say it's the beginning because this has been happening for, for quite a while now. People are just becoming more aware of it. And we are just at the beginning and <clears throat> it's going to be very challenging to um, try to protect, you know, what we can. I view it almost as a triage, you know, what let's uh -huh. pick, you know, certain trees or certain places that we can focus on and protect. Yeah. I recall a story from your first book in which uh, you came home one evening and noticed a glow around a large Beautiful. tree in a nearby lot. And uh, you couldn't figure out where this illumination was originating. And then the next day when you came home, the tree had been cut down and chopped up. 
Um, do but you... she still saw the illumination. Right. Uh, right. Not 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 after it was dead. <laughs> so yeah, so... You... Go ahead. No, what were you going to ask? I was going to ask. Do you think you saw the aura of the tree and that it knew it, it was going to die? Yes, so that um, was a real turning point in my life too. And in fact, the reason, one of the reasons I even wrote that book is because of that tree. So when I was a child, I was, and many people are this way, you know, very connected to nature, very connected to to spirit and understanding what I call the invisible world. So I was really glued into nature. And then as I got older, um, you know, focused on career, what society said I should do and what success success is, and went off and became an environmental lawyer and did all kinds of, you know, what some had a fabulous resume. Um, But then one day, um, you know, I didn't feel fulfilled in many ways as well. And I knew I was missing things in my life. And I came home from work, uh, you know, tired with the the groceries and the heavy came around the corner and there in an empty lot, um, there had been this gorgeous, beautiful oak tree. And um, normally it was very dark. And I came around and the entire lot was lit up with this kind of beautiful whitish yellow glowing light that almost felt warm. And I'm looking around, you know, where's the spotlight? Where do they add the light, you know? <laughs> and I didn't see any. And um, <clears throat> and then I um, looked and then I got kind of nervous because it appeared to come from the tree. And you know how when sometimes you have those mystical experiences, it can be a little shocking to your conscious uh-huh. mind. So I rushed inside and I shut the door behind me very quickly. Um, not kind of wanting to deal with that at the moment. <laughs> and then I... I peeked up the, opened the door just a little bit, you know, like, I think I'm hallucinating. And there it was, sure enough. And the tree looked like the moon almost. It just had this, you know, how, when you look at the moon, it has that luminescent, beautiful kind of Uh gold light. And that's what it looked like. I mean, I could see the outline of the tree within there, but it was like this beautiful golden. And I stepped out. It was almost like the tree was calling me to come out. And I felt like I was almost in a trance and I walked towards the tree and I stood there enveloped in its light. And I don't know, you know, could a year could have gone by or a second could have gone by, (laughs) no sense of time. And I just felt this deep communion with the tree, but more than just the tree, of course, you know, the cosmos. I mean, just, it was Mm. incredible. And and then at some point I, I went upstairs and went to sleep and got up the next morning, you know, went through my routine, taking my son to school, didn't even think about the tree, and then came back the next day after work And when I came into that empty lot, um, I gasped because the tree had been cut down and not just cut down, but cut up, you know, into those Mm -hmm. tiny little scraps of, you know, pieces. And what happened in my mind or in my consciousness, the way that I describe it in the book, it was almost like two worlds colliding or two Uh universes colliding, that mystical side of myself that was in touch with the invisible and know it's there with my whole heart and soul and that other side of my body that you know or my being that allows me to stand in front of a, a court you know an appellate court and argue a case for the environment <laughs> these, these things just collided and I realized that the tree had chosen me to be a witness and mm-hmm. wanted me to speak of this experience in my adult life because of course, as when I was a child, and this is a while ago, I'm 62 now. So, you know, I got all the nature girl and you don't live in the real world and don't be silly and all those comments. Right. And um, <clears throat> so I knew that, you know, I could no longer, it, it changed me forever. That experience forever changed me. And I could no longer pretend or not talk about this. And that's when I started leading the vision quests and doing the writing and, and um, you know, all the rest of it. So in a sense, the tree showed you your genuine path. It did uh-huh. very much. So cool. I mean, I've so started- let me clarify this. The tree was alive when it was giving off this glow, but the next day it was all chopped up. Is that? It was all chopped up. It was like coming upon and the impact upon my being it was almost like seeing a massacred body you uh-huh. know 
God. I mean, it was so shocking to, to me to see it because I had communed with what I call the soul of the tree. And like the native people, and I'm sure like my ancient ancestors and, and yours, we all, of course, have indigenous ancestors who are from somewhere. Um, <clears throat> you know, we understood that it, the tree itself is not God, but it is infused with right. the creative energy, just as we all are. So, so I believe that the work that I do now is helping people to... It's almost like if you have a chorus or an orchestra, it kind of brings you to a higher level. Mm -hmm. um, similarly, you know, the Buddha sat under the tree, the Bodhi tree, right. become enlightened. So, so there is something about opening yourself to the possibility of this creative, uh, mysterious and wise, compassionate force being alive in a tree or an animal or a bobcat. It's very much, it's very much like Tolkien's The Ents. You I'm know, not the, sure about that. Oh, you, the, you would love these books. I mean, The Ents were like an ancient race of trees. They could speak, they could, they could communicate. This was in, uh, I think it was in his first first book the the, I don't know if it was the Hobbit anyway it's in the Fellowship of the Rings somewhere <laughs> yeah they could actually move slightly yeah. very you you it's wouldn't really see them moving but they would be slightly move, moving uh, over time okay I have a question now if you uh, you write about the connection between the debasement of nature and the debasement of women with the death of Ruth Gator Ginsburg how does this all fit in well, <clears throat> of course, she was an incredible advocate uh, for women's rights and, you know, one of the first women to, to graduate from law school. And and I actually went to law school because of her. She inspired me. And, and I was one of the few women at the time to enroll um, in law school. I think it was only 15 percent or something or 20 percent women at the time. Um, and <clears throat> I just saw this post. I think it's important. A lot of people, um, young women don't know what, what she's done for right. women. You know, to, you, you can get your credit card in your own name and sign mm -hmm. a loan in your own name. This, these things were not allowed. You, you had to have a father or husband right. uh, do that before her, um, not to mention all the other tremendous, um, you know, things that, that have happened. But, you know, I mentioned earlier that our world is a place, it can be a place of balance between the yin, the more um, mm -hmm. receptive, um, deep listening, um, intuitive, uh, womb-like, uh, you know, uh, supporting other life and bringing other life into the world. And the yang, the more active principle, you know, the, the driving, the action, the, um, mm. so And right now our world is, and so if we, if we look at men and women, <clears throat> of course, we all have both within us. You know, I've met some mm. phenomenal men. One of my favorite young that I, that I met back in college, he referred to himself as an eco-feminist. Um, so, but, um, but right now our world is sorely out of balance with the yang, with the masculine, the, the active, the explosive energy of our engines that I mentioned before, because this, this permeates every aspect yeah. of our reality. So from the things that we create uh, the way that we look at science, you know, let's pull it apart, take right. it apart, try, try and discover its ancient secrets instead of sitting quietly and allowing them to come to us through gentle uh, listening. Um, <clears throat> and then um, the laws that we pass uh, more. And, you know, today there's more of an emphasis on things than people. Mm. There's more of an emphasis on possessions and uh, versus relationships. And so, but this time will change though, and we will come into balance, but not until many more of us have experienced the agony of being out of balance. And mm -hmm. we are beginning, many, many more people on the planet are experiencing that right in this moment. Unfortunately, some still need to learn. And this has been activated now, so this process has started and will continue for some time. But we will eventually find that balance again. And we will live in a world where uh, these forces are balanced and both women and men will share equally in different ways. So, Katriana, 
You have a new book that's coming out. I don't think it's out yet. Uh, Secrets of uh, Celtic Mystics, Sacred Earth Prophecy. Um, so the prophecy you're talking about is uh, it's coming our way are catastrophic shifts and uh, great earth changes. Um, you say that ultimately humans will survive, but in a very different way than we do now. So where does this pro uh, prophecy come from? Well, the prophecy um, was really clear and uh, was a prophecy that I, uh, a taken to prophecy, if that makes sense. I, I guess I'll explain that a little bit. There's some insight that one can have that comes to one in dreams, prophetic dreams and so forth. Mm -hmm. And there's some insight that can come to one because one goes there and sees and experiences. And so that's where I was in this particular prophecy. And I did see a beautiful future for humankind and so different from where we are now, but we, we are, these are our descendants. We will make it through mm -hmm. um, after these changes on, on the planet. And yeah. yeah, so there were very beautiful things shown to me. And, you know, many of the things shown to me, we have the capacity to do today, um, but we don't have the socio-political will right. um, or economic structure to allow this to unfold at this time. So these things must die away uh, mm. before this can come forward, but this will happen. So the paradigm shift, in other words. Yes. On a big paradigm shift. <laughs> yes. So can you describe the way, the uh, the different way in which humans will survive? Yes, so it's really beautiful. It just, it just makes me happy thinking about it. And going back to your first question about how do I deal with the fires and, and really, in fact, I would say that I was almost more upset 10 years ago because I was noticing the extreme die off and all these things that maybe some people weren't, weren't as in touch with. But, but what shifted it all for me is that vision of the future and knowing that that's where we're headed. And um, there was so much beauty about living in that way. So I'll give one example that I just found really profound and, and really beautiful, is many people have perhaps picked up a shell on the beach and felt its beautiful smoothness and you know the way that that's created by a living um, animal um, as a home. And our homes of the future will be very similar in the sense that the materials that we use, it's almost as if we're co-creating our homes with natural forces. <clears throat> so if you could imagine the walls of your home, when you put you place your hand on them, feel so good. Um, because it's almost like they have an aliveness and a beauty to them, and they resonate with such a high level of beautiful, harmonious energy. And our homes will be very subtle and very um, simple homes. We won't have a lot of possessions as we do now, and we will live next to forested areas and really cherish the animals. There'll be many less species at this time, but the ones that are there we will really cherish, and the forests are, are the schoolroom for our youth. And then growing, we are growing beautiful, beautiful vegetables and foods, some of which we don't even know about today, that are high in nutritional value and energetic value. And it's, it's a very, very different world, but very beautiful, very simple, and uh, very technologically advanced. But technology need not be complicated to be advanced. In fact, almost the more simple is more advanced. Mm. So there'll also be fewer humans, right? <laughs> I only was shown one village, and the one village was uh, what would be considered a small uh, village under a mountain. Um, I don't know about the entire population. Mm -hmm. I do know mm -hmm. that everything was pristine. The air was pristine. Everything was healthy. Hmm. You think this might be like a thousand years in advance or a hundred or 500? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Yeah, it's certainly, you know, in well in advance. Um, yeah. But I also am aware 
that our ability as humans to contemplate time is very limited. And while we think in linear ways, I understand that sometimes things can happen more quickly or more slowly depending on the cycles. So, so putting a, a number on it, I don't think I, my human consciousness could yeah. contemplate that. I think this is why Casey's predictions were so off in terms of timing. Yeah. Because a lot of the stuff you're talking about is also things that he foresaw, but not not at the dates he gave. Right, he saw a lot of stuff like in the late 60s yeah. that never happened. Well, also in the late 90s yeah. that never happened. Yeah. But hmm. that doesn't mean it's not, not going to happen. No. Uh, I, so, yeah. Montana is being, Livingston, Montana is being a sequel. Oceanfront. <laughs> Oceanfront, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You yeah. also say it won't, long, it won't be long before we Earthlings learn and accept the startling truth they were not the wisest or most evolved species in the universe. Can you elaborate? Yeah. Well, we at this place, yeah, well, sure. And I, I mean, to me, that, that name, they are, they are people. They are our cousins. They're our relatives, many of them, not all of them. But um, so in this vision, yeah, the, the, um, in, the, in the mountaintop, at the top of this huge mountain, I noticed that the... Um, top one third or one quarter of it looked somewhat different. It was natural looking, but it also looked a little strangely formed. And then I realized that it was a huge, huge place filled with airships and had enormous windows. The windows facing out towards the center of the Milky Way were probably, oh my goodness, I don't know, maybe 80 stories tall wow. or something. So I, I know they weren't glass because I know glass can't be that large. So they were, they're probably some other kind of material. And mm -hmm. um, there was so much activity of us, our descendants going out towards the center and others coming in and landing. Huh. And there was a lot of inter interchange. And uh, the ships that I saw that were flying were small. Some of the ones inside were larger. Mm -hmm. um, and it seemed very matter of fact, you know, that's the way it is. <laughs> We're connected. Um, yeah, and, great. you know, they're, they're there. And, 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 you know, also, I know, Rob, I told you my, my own personal experiences. So I, I've had, uh, you know, direct experiences with this, what I'll call the star, star beings and right. how, yeah, how they've helped me my, my whole life. So, hmm. so the the people living at that time would think of us as we would think of the people from a few hundred years ago that thought the the sun revolved around the earth rather than the other way around you know and i have to say unfortunately that maybe even worse because <laughs> of the yeah because also the the way that we've taken control of the planet to such a large degree has allowed us to abuse other life forms unmercilessly. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this is the worst. Uh, you know, we talk about crimes against humanity. This, these are crimes against the planet and other living things. So, so I would say that they, that right now we're almost, you know, and that's not all of us because we also at the same time have a lot of people that are awakening and really tapping into their spiritual truth. But um, there's just so much turmoil on the planet right now. Mm -hmm. So yes, these these beings are many of them are looking at us like, oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with them? Wrong with them? But you know, we're here to learn, and we are learning. And you know, I think we're seeing the the dark side uh, is being kind of pushed into our faces right now. And I think a lot of us are, are kind of saying, wow, we, we don't want this anymore. We're acknowledging uh -huh. it, it, it exists and we are going to change. We're going to adapt and we can. Because if we don't, it's yeah. <laughs> Armageddon for all of us. Exactly. Uh, yes. John, John, did you have any question? Yeah, actually, uh, something did come to mind, and kind of wrapping back around to um, to Earth pre-photosynthesis, pre-plant plant life. Uh, uh, did you see the study earlier that, that was released earlier this week about phosphine in the atmosphere of Venus? Yeah. Right, yeah. That was interesting. And so possibly 
microbial life in the atmosphere of Venus. And what I find interesting with the timing on that is that in, in talking about Earth pre-plant life is that, uh, if nothing else, maybe this gives us a chance to study a real-time model of right. what Earth looked like before we, the That's ecosystem we know came into being. Yeah. Yeah. If there's, there's a question so in there somewhere, May, I think. <laughs> yeah. Whole new worlds out there to explore and learn from. But but we're definitely earthlings and we cannot think that we can abandon this place now. We have to reconcile and we have to adapt and we have to take the, the actions and change our our you know, with internally and externally um, before uh, going out to other places. You better talk to Elon Musk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think he's I think he's finally given up on terra, terraforming uh, yeah, Mars. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's people think that uh, some people think that Mars was once a planet that had a livable atmosphere and that there was civilization there and that uh, that was destroyed ahead of us and. Uh, you know that now the Martian group potatoes there. Well, <laughs> so you know that Mars was an example of what what happens when the environment uh, is destroyed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's so yeah. many worlds and so many different experiences, and you know the material world. I love what Paramahansa Yogananda said about the material world and all of the universes, and he said. If you can imagine all of the material planets that we can see or experience physically being a little basket below an enormous balloon, and up in the balloon are all the astral worlds, mm -hmm. <laughs> he said mm. that to a sense of some of the reality that we exist within. Huh. Yeah. So one more question. In, uh, Where can people get in touch with you and find out about your books? Yeah, but I have one more oh, question okay. first. Uh, in your new book, you speak of the wilderness of nature. You say, the wilds are within you as well as without. What do you mean by that? Well, this is a major theme in this book is, you know, the first book was more about how we can connect with nature and partner with it. And this book has that as well. But it also talks about how humans today have been over-domesticated. There are forces in this world that have limited uh, we're, we're called consumers. That's a very demeaning term. Uh -huh. And it drives behavior in a very uh, ungodly way, if I put that way. And we're much bigger than that. And when we tap into our own let sense of freedom, our own sense of our, who we can be as human beings, the magnificence, the grace within us, um, that is then going to transform not only our own lives, but the, but the planet. Great. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah, so where can people contact you, reach you, find out about your books and your work? Yes, they can um, go to the website, which is um, naturequest.org. Uh, they can get my book, Partnering with Nature, The Wild Path to Reconnecting on with the Earth. It's in some bookstores. It's also up at Amazon. And then my next book is coming out um, in early 2021, and it's called um, Secrets of a Celtic Mystic, Sacred Earth Prophecy. Hmm. Okay, great. Great. Well, this has been great. And when your new book comes out, we want to have you on again. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, I just love this, and I just love what you both are doing and all of the, the writing that you do. I so enjoy that. And, yeah, I'm just very honored to be on your show. Thank you. Oh, we're honored okay. to have you. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Have a good day. We'll okay. talk to you again. <laughs> okay. okay. And stay safe yeah. with the fires. Yeah. Okay. Take care. Thanks for joining the Mystical Underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. 
send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical. Nigel knows. Nigel knows. Nigel's up. Yeah. Nigel's up. Johnny goes. I'm. I'm ready. <laughs>